A reading from the Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John chapter 21, verses 1 through 19. Jesus showed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he showed himself in this way. Gathered there together were Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach, but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, have you no fish? Have you? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net to the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because there were so many fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on some clothes, for he was naked, and jumped into the sea. But the other's disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, only about a hundred yards off. When they had gone ashore, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish on it and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some, some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. And though there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. A second time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter felt hurt. Because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you used to fasten your own belt and to go to wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will fasten a belt around you and take you where you do not wish to go. He said this to indicate the kind of death by which he would glorify God. After this, he said to him, follow me. The gospel of the Lord. Praise you, Lord Christ. You may be seated. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I want to just briefly share an idea with you. And I'm actually going to preach from the uh, chapter, or the, the section that we read from Acts. And so during Easter, you'll notice that Acts actually replaces the Old Testament reading. And the reason why we do that is because we believe that it's a continuation of the very same story that we find in the Old Testament. And so I like this little, it's, it's a posture that we take theologically just by putting Acts in the section where we usually find the Old Testament. But I, I want to talk about this story where you see Paul have this, Saul becomes Paul, have, he has this encounter with 
what we think is, and I, I don't know necessarily how to give this language, but I think we could use the term a post-ascension, quasi-bodily resurrected Jesus. And so it's not necessarily what we've been seeing for the past few weeks, but it's a different kind of Jesus. And I like this idea, and I just want to share this with you. One of the biggest takeaways from the resurrection is that Jesus comes to us in modes now. Sometimes the mode of Christ is on the table, like the disciples who met the resurrected Christ on the road to Emmaus, and when he breaks the bread, he's made known, and he disappears, but the table remains. That's because Jesus is the bread of life. Other times we see the modal Jesus like this, where he's this quasi-bodily resurrected Christ that knocks Saul off his high horse in a blinding moment and converts this persecutor of the church in a way that is uh, rather traumatizing. But I was inspired by this story. And so I, I just want to share one thought, and that is this. We are healed by blindness. Usually when we think about healing, we think that we are healed from blindness. But I want to share this idea with you that we're actually healed by blindness. And that the healing that God does in our lives, the conversion that God does in our lives, is often revealed not by what we see, but by what we stop seeing. Let me say that one more time. The healing of God in our lives happens to us, not only by what we see with new resurrected eyes, but what those resurrection eyes refuse to see any longer. And that is so important because you live in a world, I live in a world, that is constantly giving us stories and narratives and realities. And it's important that we refuse to see a false narrative, that we only see that which God sees and that we only witness what God wants us to witness and that we view the world through the lens of the resurrection. It means we have a very different take on what is real. And so we are often healed by blindness. Saul wasn't looking for Jesus. This is an important point. I, I, I get entertained when I hear conversion stories of people who drop to their knees one night in a hotel and they... They hit their wit's end and they said, I can't take it anymore. I, I'm, I'm looking for something. Bono and U2 has a song called, I still haven't found what I'm looking for, what I'm looking for. And many of our conversion stories start this way. I, I was unsatisfied with life. I was searching. Listen, Paul was very satisfied. Paul was not, Saul was not looking for Jesus at all. In fact, the only thing Saul was looking for is a bunch of Christians to kill and persecute. That's all he wanted. Just let me get my hands on him. That's the story, right? He goes to the high priest and he says, hey, you happen to know where I can find some Christians to persecute. The, the verse that we read in Acts, it actually says that he was breathing murderous threats. This is the man that God used to evangelize you and I, Gentiles. And this is his story. But here's one thing that I just want to share with you. Paul was blind way before Jesus blinded him. Paul had a set of eyes that couldn't see. In fact, anytime you read about blindness in the New Testament, anytime you read about blindness in the gospel, it's always there to kind of serve as a metaphor for you and I, right? For example, when, when Jesus heals a blind man and the disciples say, whose sin was it? Was it his or his parents? The whole reason why we have that account is because the gospel writer wants you to know it was the disciples who were truly blind because Jesus has to point out to them, neither. You idiots. It's basically saying, you're the ones who can't see. And so every time we, we read an account of blindness, it's always there so that we can understand that our vision is impaired. So we don't know our own blindness like Paul, Saul. He didn't know his own blindness. And we have been programmed by creatures and the culture that creatures create 
with a, I'll call it an illusion. We believe a, a delusion that we are self-made folks. Roll with me on this. I wanted to share this thought. We think that we are who we are because of the choices and the decisions that we have made. We think that we are the result of our management, that we have strived hard enough to make ourselves who we've become. I want to challenge that idea and offer to you that we don't find this account of reality in the Bible. This is not a gospel-centered thought that we are self-made. The gospel instead would have us understand that it's not what we've managed to put together that makes us who we are. It's what God has managed to put together that makes us who we are. It is not our vision that gives us sight. It is simply the, the grace of God that allows us to see Jesus for who he truly is. That allows us to see the world for what it truly is. And here's the last thing I want to say about this. It is not our search for God that has brought us into the life of faith. It is God's search for us. Saul was not looking for Jesus. Saul was not trying. All he wanted to find were people to kill who loved Jesus. And, and it's this very God who seeks out the person who's trying to kill the people worshiping him. And he seeks out Saul, converts him and makes him into Paul. But it is not because of Paul's seeking. It is because of Jesus's search. Jesus is the one who seeks. And I think this is so important. Here's, here's the main thing. You are who you are, not because of your hard work, although I do applaud it, and I think that we participate with God fully. But you are who you are because God is so good. You are who you are because he is so gracious. It is because he is so good. He's given you the ability, the resources, the family. You were born in a certain context. All of this is his goodness. Can I get an amen? amen. And so God is the one who seeks us. God, to quote C.S. Lewis, closes in on us. Modernity teaches us that we are self-made, that we are self-contrived. The gospel teaches us that it is all his grace. And usually in hindsight, we can turn around and say, it was Jesus who sought me. And he knocked me off my horse. And he gave me a new set of eyes. And I wasn't even looking for him. In fact, I was doing work that was probably counterproductive to his kingdom. But he found me. And that's when we can quote the scripture that says, in you, right? We live and move and have our being. On my way out, I have to finish with this thought. Why blindness? Why is it that we see this story that Paul, Saul, is blinded and becomes Paul? Why the use of our eyes? Why the scales that fall off of Paul's eyes? Here's something that I want to be very careful on. Uh, the way I communicate this. So I'm going to read it. Eyes of faith occur not only when we see what God would have us see. And we're talking about blindness here. It's not only when we would see what God would have us see, but eyes of faith also occur when we don't see. In other words, when we're blind to what God would have us be blind to. Isaiah chapter 42 says, Listen, you deaf, and look, you blind, that you may see. Now listen to this part. Who is blind but my servant? Or deaf like the messenger I am sending? Who is blind like my covenant partner? Or blind like the servant of the Lord? And what do you think Isaiah is saying there? He's saying that the servant of God, the partner with God, the partner of God, is the one who can't see what God wouldn't have her see. The partner of God is the one who can't say what God would not have her say. 
You are mute other than what God would have you speak. You are blind to anything other than what God would have you see. Jesus said this. Think about this text right here. We always give Jesus credit for healing blind people, but he said in John 9, I have come that those who are blind may see and that those who see may be blind. We're healed by blindness. Chris Green, of course, I can't preach without quoting him, so I'll just exit with this. He said this quote in his book, Surprised by God. I recommend you getting it and reading it if you want to be radically, wonderfully um, surprised. (laughs) He wrote, not only must we have our eyes open so that we can see the glory of God. Listen to this. But we must also be blinded to the vainglorious illusions of the world. The vision Christ gives is both enlightening and blinding, end quote. Here's what I think he's trying to say. I know he's trying to say it because he said this. Only in Christ, this is the point, only in Christ are we enabled to see God and neighbor as they truly are. Only in Jesus can we see God and neighbor as they truly are. JP, why does that matter? That matters because you can't love and serve neighbor without seeing them the right way. And let me just be a little bold here and say, we sin at this. We're not good at this. Even the people we think we love, we need God's help to love them better. Even the people we think we know, we need God's help to know them better. This is why some people can look at poor people and say they just need to work harder and get a job, but not Jesus. Jesus doesn't let us see that. In fact, Jesus challenges the way we view the least of these in Matthew 25, and he says, I am them. I am the poor, I'm the hungry, I'm the thirsty, I'm the incarcerated. And we need God's help to not only see that which he would have us see, but to stop seeing, we're saved by blindness, we want to stop seeing the things that he would not have us see. Only when we're properly blinded can we love and serve God. Only when we're properly blinded can we love and serve neighbor. Only when we're properly blinded, that's a hard thing to say, properly blinded, Only when we're properly blinded can we love what God loves. We need God to blind us every day. There's a movie called Bird Box. I do not recommend that you watch it. Don't waste your time. But it was pretty popular, I think like a year ago, maybe less than that. I saw it. Did you see it? Okay. So so it's this movie that Sandra Bullock, who I dearly love, I I enjoy her acting. Um, She plays this character who lives in a world... Where to see is to die. Because when you see in this world, there's a force that's moving within it that gets you to believe in a lie. It, it makes you see an illusion. And that illusion is rooted in your greatest fear. So whatever it is that you're truly afraid of, the minute you look into this world, it shows you a lie. It shows you an illusion. And that fear leads to death. And the only way you can make it through this world is to be blinded. Because it's when you're blinded that you're healed. It's when you're blinded that you're saved. It's when you're blinded that you can truly navigate the way you need to and make it to where you need to be, where life is. That's the movie. So I just, spoiler alert, I just ruined it. But salvation comes through blindness in this movie. And maybe I just want to share this thought on uh, as something that you can take with you. We live in a world of death. We live in a world of decay. We live in a world of destruction. Every corner of Youngstown, every corner of Newcastle, every corner of Pittsburgh and Cleveland that you look at, 
you will find death, decay, and destruction. And you know why that is? It's because when people use their eyes, they're blinded and they don't even know it. And they're seeing and believing in illusions that lead to death, decay, and destruction, and greed, where we don't care about neighbor, and we don't care about God. And when we lose our love and service of God, we lose our love and service of neighbor. And you know what that looks like? That looks like a city like Youngstown, where poor people who live right here, downtown, have to ride a bus in labor and risk crossing four to five lanes of traffic just to have a baby. It looks like Youngstown being a a food desert, poor people don't have food. They don't have access to good quality produce. Instead, they have access to corner stores with high salt, high sugar, all of that. Foods that make you sick, in other words. Giant Eagle was ready and willing to put a grocery store right right here. But because they didn't want the undesirable to come on campus, it was denied. And here's, here's why that matters. You know what that does? People die. Because when you can't have access to good food, you can't have access to good produce, you eat the things that you ought not eat. You know why all this has happened? Because people, when they open their blinded eyes, Paul, it says Paul, could, his eyes were open, but he couldn't see anything. You got a bunch of people in the city. Newcastle's the same thing. And the people who have the ability to create a new reality, their eyes are open, but they're blinded, and they don't even know it. And the answer is not God heal them from our blindness, from their blindness, from our blindness. The answer is God give us the right kind of blindness. Let us have that blindness that heals us. Let us have that kind of blindness. Because it's only when we're properly blinded that we can see God and see Nate. Is this all right? I don't know. I'm, I'm done. We, we're healed by blindness. Is it going to make you uncomfortable? Yes. Is it going to, I mean, imagine you were Paul. And here you are, right? And we know he was troubled. He fasted. He didn't eat. You're uncomfortable, you're awkward. I have a lot of people who, they, they experience a kind of conversion, right? Maybe they used to have certain beliefs. They used to see the world in a certain way. And we have this quote, right? God comforts the disturbed, but he disturbs the comfortable. And they come into our communities and they say, oh, I used to be so different. And they express that, I'm uncomfortable, it's awkward. I think a lot of times the way we viewed the table, a lot of us had to go through this transition especially if you come from a charismatic evangelical background like me. We used to judge the people that came to the table. And then when we started gathering around the table, it was not, I'm, I'm automatically very comfortable. It, we're, we're awkward when we first start coming to the table. I remember the first time I went to a Eucharistic gathering and I, I felt very uncomfortable, but now, you know, I, I'm blind to the way I used to see things. And God's given me a new set of eyes for new vision. Whatever you're going through that's uncomfortable right now, let me just offer you this. It's because God's seeking you. It's because God's finding you. Don't take credit for it. We call this the means of grace, right? It's always a means of grace. Don't take credit. But find healing in your blindness. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sacred Commons podcast. You can find out more about us at our website, thesacredcommons.com. If you feel connected to this ministry in any way, we appreciate your support. We appreciate your partnership. It helps us continue to do this work in the city of Youngstown, where we are happy to be launching a new church plant. Finally, why don't you come and join us for a service? 
323 Wick Avenue at the beautiful St. John's Episcopal Church. We meet in the chapel. Come and worship with us. We'd love to see you there. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen.